I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. I'm delighted to say that on uh, this week's uh, edition, we're joined once again by Jack Howard. Jack, Happy New Year. Is this happy the New first Year. one? That- yeah, it is. Yeah, we recorded one that went out at the beginning of January, but we haven't spoken since last year. How are you doing? How was your, your holiday season? How was your New Year? How are you feeling post-Trump? Well, I, I mean, I, this kind of uh, pertains to what we're about to talk about. Obviously, I feel a huge sense of relief and release. I have, I have literally slept better since the inauguration than I have You've done. You've been getting like, a lot of feelings years. out on Twitter. Oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, I, I, <laughs> but the thing is, the best thing is that it's now done. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I'll say this for the last time. I feel like it was your moral duty to be outraged every moment that that you know, fascist inciting insurrectionist Gibbon was in the White House. And, that's putting it and I think and I think that now that he's gone, the power, I mean, I've spoken to so many people. I've just been talking to my great friend, Mike from the band, who's American, and just the sense of exhaling mm-hmm. of thank heaven for that. There's, you know, grown ups are back in. It doesn't matter which side of the political thing you're on. It's just not an absolute, you know, uh, maniac with the power to do real harm, you look at you know Trump's legacy, the disastrous mishandling of COVID, the double impeachment, the levels of corruption, the debasement of the concept of truth, the incitement of violence. Oh yeah, absolutely, and the incitement of fascist insurrection. People you know storming the Capitol, wearing T-shirts that said "Camp Auschwitz" and six million were not enough. Awful. We're not talking about any kind. We're not talking about any kind. There's no ambiguity on this. Yep. That's what he did. I, I, I sincerely hope that he's impeached just so that he can never come back again. I think that Biden is doing the right yeah, thing in saying Congress well. will I do what Congress does. saw a video of Biden signing his first um, official pieces of paper, you know, for, for, for something and seeing him speak and, and being like, he knows what he talks, he knows what he's talking about. He seems level-headed. I was watching it and I said, it feels like he's been cast in a film as the president. It just almost feels like it's not real because I'm so used now to seeing an insane man sitting in that White House chair. And there's a new piece of information I didn't know about. Have you heard about the Diet Coke button? Yes, I knew that they, that, that, that uh, Donald Trump had a button that he would press to get Diet Coke. I honestly can't. That, that was new information to me. And I was like, I can't believe yeah. I'm still shocked by things that I'm hearing. But you know what? Make America boring again. I can't wait to not hear about the president every fucking day for the next four years. I just, I want 
it to just be happening silently in the background and exactly. i'm just glad now that there's an end to it i'm glad that i mean obviously the effects aren't over but the fact that we've now lived through that period of time and it is behind us we don't have yeah. to call him the president anymore it's it's honestly no, it's, it's, oh, it's just it, a it, weight it is, off. It is it is great. I hope he gets impe- I hope he gets convicted. He's been impeached. I hope he gets convicted because it means that he can't run for office again. I think that his idiot children, nepotism, Barbie, Koki, Flopswet, Ken, and the spare um, should disappear from everyone's life forever, so we never have to think about their like, pestilential like the existence. Spare. It's what Voldemort calls Robert Pattinson's character. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and um, uh, and I I think that their just vile hideousness will will should be allowed to go away now, and that's great. So this actually leads into what we're. Going to talk about because obviously everyone you know we're still in lockdown and uh, this is you know for the foreseeable we are we're we're all still dealing with what's going on so we decided that we would do a a podcast um talking about movies five movies each that make us feel good yeah that make us this actually came from an idea that i i hosted my first ever well, I guess you'd call it an online film club. It was basically an excuse to talk about Tenet some more because I hadn't had a chance to <laughs> had, have enough conversations about it with, with enough people. And when I was having uh, this Instagram Live, somebody suggested, could you um, do a, a heartwarming or heartfelt films um, with, with Kermode on, on the podcast because I think it'd be a good thing to do around these times. And, I, and yeah. I pitched it to you and you liked it. So here we are. So thank you to, I can't remember who it was, but thank you to you who's probably listening to this um, for that idea. Here you go. So basically what we're going to do is that Jack and I have both chosen five movies. I mean, you know, that that broadly come under the the feel-good barrier. Now I want to, I, I want to start by saying something. Um, the definition of feel-good. Yeah, uh, I want convers- to talk about this too because I think it's an incredibly personal thing. It's like more personal than most choices, I think, when it comes to picking a list of films. It really is. And now in my list, I've, I've lent heavily on things that, that make me laugh because I, I have to say that, you know, I think the laughter is the best medicine and I've, I really, I really enjoy films that make me laugh and I have got a tin ear for comedy and it's quite often that I don't laugh at comedies and people, you know, and I, it's, I'm, it's that thing about, you know, insufficient laughter is, is, is the great loss for me. So, however, it is well worth saying that in the podcast that I do with Simon Mayo, we've had a discussion for a long time about, Shawshank Redemption and Slumdog Millionaire. Right. Both of which, you know, you feel good. I mean, at the end of them, they're kind of uplifting, but, you know, the phrase is always, there's a lot of Shawshank before the redemption and there's a lot of Slumdog before the millionaire. So the broad definition of a feel-good movie, for my end for this, is I'm concentrating on movies that make me feel good most of the time that I'm watching, with with, with one exception that I think is, you know, slightly fits into that. But these are films that I think you can put on and and they will they will they will reaffirm whatever faith you might have had in the world. And for me, it's I very heavily let on laughter. Now you obviously you have a background in comedy that I don't. Your choices broadly are they heartwarming or funny or give me a general overview? Yeah, mine mine's sort of a mix actually. I I sometimes for me I like going through the 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 tragedy and then coming out of the other end and and feeling that um optimistic um conclusion but having to go through the mud in order to get there but you know a couple of the choices on there are ones that i smile all the way through even if it's not laughing all the way through just something that makes me smile ear to ear and sometimes that's a nostalgic thing or sometimes just like that's the tone of the film but yeah i i think these are a list of films that for me i could put on and no, but by the end of it, I'll have felt something um, 
you know, cathartic. Yeah. I think that's kind yeah. of what I would would put on this. But do you want to start? Yeah, so I'm going to start with a really recent film, a film that came out um, uh, last year, uh, was it the LFF before that. And it's one of those films that has really made me think, okay, you know, watching the, and I've seen it three or four times now, and watching it, I really thought, okay, this has made me feel good about the world, despite the fact that it's a film that, that deals with, you know, fairly difficult issues on one hand. I'm going to go for Rocks, uh, which is... I thought is, you uh, were going to go for that. Oh, I'm, okay, great. I, I mean, you know, I, I, know it's, I know I'm predictable, but here's what, no. I love, here's what I love about Rocks. Firstly, I think it's a really truthful story. And I think that thing about, you know, truth is beauty, beauty, truth, this is all you know and all you need ever know. I think that there is there is a, a joy in something that seems to be truthful. Um, I think the fact that the filmmaking absolutely is in harmony with the subject of the film. I mean, the film is about uh, young girls, teenage girls, kind of trying to find their place in a hostile world, but finding solace in friendships. And the central character is somebody who comes home from school to discover that their mother has disappeared. And she is then left looking after her young brother. And they have to fend for themselves. And there are some very tough things, you know, you know, life on the streets and having to hold things together. But what the film is centrally about is about her friendship group, about the group of people that she's with and the difficult times are when the friendships uh she you know she backs off from the friendships and what the film the arc of the film actually quite outside the whole thing about the social realism and the difficulties and all that stuff is it is a film about friendship in the same way that stand by me is a film about friendship or in the same way that American Graffiti is a film about friendship, or, you know, many of the films that, that I love, they are films about groups of friends. You and I have discussed this before, but I, you know, I, I was in bands and I've always said that being in a band is like being in a gang. It's, it's like family. And when I see rocks, that's what I see. And the brilliant thing about it is in order to make it, they went out, they did proper, you know, proper casting in which they found young performers, many of whom had never been on screen before, they cast them absolutely the right people for the right roles. We saw it was like seeing an entire generation of potential new talent in one film. And it was just great. It was just like, wow, look at all these talented newcomers. They were, I mean, I know that some of them have got some experience, but look at them. Look at them being brilliant. Look, and uh, of course, I, I interviewed Sarah Gavron who directed the film, and she said very specifically, do not refer to it as Sarah Gavron's Rocks. This is a film made by a group of people. It's made by the writers, and it's made by the workshops, and it's made by the casting uh, directors, and it's made by the, you know, it's 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 a group effort. And when I Wasn't watch- she at the Rotterdam Film Festival with us last year? I believe she was, yeah. And, and, and honestly, and she was Jack, lovely. doesn't it seem like a whole- I know. Eon ago, but February the, but, last year was I, was was when we went to that, and it doesn't I that know. doesn't feel possible anymore. No, although you know it will be possible again. But so the key thing for me is Rocks is a film that reaffirms my belief in. You know, I've always said this thing. I, I don't like nostalgia. Oh, films used to be great in the 70s. Films used to mm -hmm. be great in the 50s. Films used to... I think there are as many, if not more, great films being made now as there ever have been. And Rocks, for me, is a demonstration that you don't have to be a megalomaniac or a bloke in jobbers shouting through a megaphone. You know, it, you can have a properly cooperative film made with cooperation and collaboration and you can feel the love and warmth in that film even when it's dealing with tough subjects. Now we move 
got five fun. I have 20. Yeah, I see the queen. The queen's shining. Hi. What's man? What are you work today? Welcome to the future. Oi, where's your tickets? Close your eyes. Think of everything that is happy. And stop thinking about all your worries. We're coming with you. So that would be my first choice, Rocks. What about you? I'm going to make some adjustments as I go based on the conversations we're having because I've got like a few that I've that I've picked sure. that's more than five. Um, but the first one I'm going to pick, which is in a similar zone to yours, I think, is Boyhood. Mm. Um, the film that I think should should have probably won Best Picture in 2014 2015. What did win when it didn't? What did? Birdman. Oh, well, for heaven's sake. I mean, for heaven's sake. <laughs> I say, incidentally, but weirdly enough, behind me on my shelf, you can probably see it, I've got a Birdman statue, right? I love Birdman. Yeah, well, Good I don't. Movie. I don't love you don't it. Like the, it. The re- no, I don't not like I mean, I don't love it. I like it. But the reason I've got that Birdman statue is when I was clearing out my office when lockdown started and I was realising I was going to have to move my desk so I could do the thing, I found that Birdman statue and I looked at it and I thought, what is that? oh yes it's from the thing that won best picture so i keep it there as a kind of reminder to me of you know madonna who you know it's that so okay tell me about boyhood boyhood um for those who don't know i'm sure many many people do is a film that was filmed across i believe 12 years um where they had a real boy growing up going through adolescence it's coming of age film it's very loose on plot um but i think very like um rich in story uh and in character and relationships and realism and because i think it's set across a 12 years when i also grew up there was something that i instantly connected with uh, my friend dan who i saw it with will always tell me about how almost embarrassing it was to see me see the film with me the first time because i kept talking in the cinema and like bringing things up and like grabbing him and saying things that were happening on the screen because the soundtrack even like this from uh, from early on you know there's blink 182 on the soundtrack and there's shots of xboxes i never owned an xbox but my orders would always go to my friend's house and play on theirs and things like that and it just it's little moments like that throughout the film and watching somebody really grow up um through the time that I grew up, there's something very authentic about that. And the performances are all beautiful, um, especially, um, Patri- Pat- Pat- I can never say her name. Patricia Arquette, is that her yes. name? Patricia yes. Arquette, yeah. I can never pronounce it properly. But I think that she delivers an incredible performance. And she won an Oscar, I think, for Best Supporting Actress for that. Um, directed by Richard Linklater, who also, just side note, directed another incredible feel-good film of mine that's a family favourite, is School of Rock. Yeah, which, which is, is wonderful. Just, it's just so good. Um, it is. It just fun. felt like too much of an obvious one to pick for this, but I think Boyhood, it does push on to three hours long, but I think because it moves so much, it basically they, ha- they are made up of uh, 12, 20-minute short films, essentially. It's just like it keeps changing, and every time that it moves a year it feels like it's refreshing. It's refreshing the, the, the film again and it feels like you're starting something new and something different. Um, yeah, I always love watching it. And like I say, even though it's three hours long, there's something that just keeps me 
engaged and I'm smiling the entire time and just enjoying everything about it. There are dark moments in it. There are moments of borderline child abuse abuse in it and there's an alcoholic father and kind of dark moments and definitely the mother goes through a series of tragedies um but yeah ethan hawk as the father there's like a real like loving warm relationship between him and his and his and his son as well i particularly love uh the bit when they're camping um and there's a there's a discussion that happens in that as well that's again very yeah. like reminiscent of conversations i would have had at that, that time as well when the boy says talking about 2008 he says best films of the year were the dark knight tropic thunder and pineapple express and i was like hell yeah <laughs> 2008 <laughs> so yeah um and then towards the end it's kind of nice that he i think they shaped the film around who the people were really becoming rather than having a firm script so as he gets older the boy actually becomes kind of pretentious and starts like being like oh delete facebook and you know having all these ideas but it doesn't feel like the film is saying here's what i believe it feels like it's going here's here's who he is he's who is who he's becoming um yeah yeah yeah. i I think the soundtrack's incredible i think it's i think it's gorgeous what a gorgeous film and it shouldn't have worked that's the thing about it is that isn't amazing that something that was filmed over 12 years you're like what an experiment but actually it's turned out so coherent and and i think that's even a compliment for it as well is it shouldn't have worked but it does i think the remarkable thing i think it's a wonderful film it's a great choice um i've interviewed link later a few times and he's you know he's just he's an incredibly down-to-earth really nice guy um i interviewed him in the isle of man when they were doing um me and awesome wells which i it was a film i absolutely love i think the thing that's really remarkable is the amount of times that that project could have just fallen apart that people just could have dropped out. You know, it, it makes you think about things like Seven Up, you know, that thing about revisiting in, in, in certain kind of key, you know, key times. There was a a, a point when um, Udo Kier was making a film with Lars von Trier. I don't know if it ever got finished, when they were filming Udo Kier once a year for the rest of his life. Um, and then they, they kind of filmed some of it and then it sort of stopped. But the idea with Boyhood that y- you start it and you must know when you start it, there's a very good possibility that it won't get finished mm-hmm. or that it won't get finished well. Um, and I think that the performances are great. I love the thing at the end when Patricia Arquette has the kind of blow up moment when she, you know, yep. about you have to understand what this means to me. You have to see, you know, I think that's so beautifully done. It's really, it really feels like it's actually happening. It doesn't feel like it's scripted. It feels like it's happening. I think you're right about, you know, the story just, you know, moving, even the technology moving around them, yeah. you know, the world that they're in changing around them. And you're right. It, it feels should- like they really capture um, what was going on in that year, like making sure we get a look at like FaceTime, what FaceTime looked like, or, you know, you know what soundtrack was on, or, or you know, just getting little catching little moments of things that seem unimportant at the time but when you look back at them you go oh yeah i remember that that's like an everyday thing i used to do that doesn't exist anymore yeah and i think that's kind of something beautiful about it as well because it's not trying to capture what it was it's not like looking back at the 80s and trying to you know recreate that it really is capturing the present moment and showing you what it looked like and i think it does that extremely well yeah no it's a it's 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 a proper brilliant coming of age movie and we did we did a secret of cinema and coming of age and we i was keep i mean i've seen boyhood many times now but the first time i watched it i did go in thinking it was three hours long yeah you do get to the end of it it has flown by i know that sounds like a cliche but it really does it does fly by it's such such a what so humanist such a wonderful humanist film 
And I think it, that's something about it that I like as well is that it it blows up like really like small things that happen. It treats them as important as they feel to you at that age, which is something that I think um, Bo Burnham did really, really well with eighth grade and something that um, Greta Gerwig does really well in Lady Bird, like yeah, yeah. treating how important it feels to you at that age in the movie itself. So when he has his first big breakup, it feels like it's the end of the world to him and yeah, you, you get yeah. that. And, and it, yeah, I think, it's, I think yeah. it's so good. And all the little little moments that you the little experiences you have as a kid like being around the older kids who think they're cooler than you and drinking beer and pretending yeah. to be you know it's just, it's just it felt like a really authentic version of like my youth this seems like a good idea it's a good moment to point out that if you're if you're watching this on patreon we have a patreon page and we if we put the videos of these uh, conversations up you can see jack in his bedroom jack is currently dressed as an urban gorilla as far as i can tell um <laughs> And Mark looks like and I have Steve a, Jobs. I have, I have a large bud in my hand because nice. it's, it's it's because it's Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. The sun's gone down beyond the yard arm, and I'm 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 having a cold one. So mm, mm, mm. I can't believe a Budweiser is your choice, Jack. I'm I am not going to take beer lectures from you. All right, okay. Uh, I don't this... know. Budweiser's a bit. <laughs> I hate Very it when you do. Here's the thing, right? I like weak cold bog standard american Peace lager beer. i like sure. pabs blue ribbon i like you know i'm sorry and i don't and 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 the more people go to me the more i just yeah thank you very much mm. <laughs> this bud's for you You don't want the bumpers. Life doesn't give you bumpers. We have a new student joining us today. Hey, dude. Welcome to the suck. Mom. Haven't you been drinking? A little bit. Oh. Who do you want to be, Mason? What do you want to do? Anyway, okay, so moving on to my second choice. Um, something I thought you might have gone for. Uh, Buster Keaton in The General. Now, um, I put this in because uh, I didn't actually think you would go for it. That was a game. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get the joke. I actually wrong. think that you could probably take any Buster Keaton film. The reason that I went for The General was some years ago, I co-wrote this book with uh, with Simon Mayo. This is this is the Movie Doctor's book, and in fact, we did a tour of it. And one of the sections in it is called Laughing Gas, and it's basically a selection of movies that are guaranteed to make you laugh. And we had a clip from the General, and it's the clip when he sits on the side of the of the wheel of the train, which has got the bar on it, and then the train starts moving away, and he goes up, and then every single time I saw that, and we we toured with this, we must have done. 
16, 17, 18 shows. Every single time we showed it, I just corpsed. And then recently, if you're a regular listener to the Kermit on Film podcast, you know that I did a, a, a podcast with uh, Neil Brand talking about Buster Keaton because it was a documentary about Buster Keaton and why it was that Buster Keaton was so important. And Neil, of course, is you know the, the greatest uh, silent movie musician. And he has a, a real understanding, a really in, intimate understanding of how it is that silent movies and silent comedies work. And we were talking about the beautiful physicality of what Keaton does. And the fact that in the documentary about Keaton, they talk about The General as being one of the great action movies of all time. I mean, it is an action movie, but it's a comedy. And um, and incidentally, it's a comedy that you can have a long political argument about. But it's there. I love, love, love slapstick comedy done properly. Proper, old-fashioned, physical slapstick comedy. I love, you know... Harold Lloyd, Keaton, Chaplin. I mean, funny, I used to think Chaplin was, you know, a bit like, you know, pathos-filled, but I, I've been put straight on that by a number of people. But Keaton, for me, is... The joy of watching Keaton is... It never fails. When my kids were young, we had a whole bunch of... um uh, Laurel and Hardy silence that we would show them on video and DVD and that kind of stuff. And I love the idea that silent movies have got a kind of... a universal language. Um... Mike Figgis, or I always quote this thing, but Mike Figgis said that when when uh, immigrants first came to when immigrants were coming to America, when cinema was in its infancy, um, they used to show immigrants a silent movie when they got to Ellis Island to explain to them life in America that they were about to you know experience, and the movies were silent and everything was done through gesture. And then when language came along, the the movies became language specific. And I just, I love silent comedy and I, I could watch, I mean, I could be in the foulest mood known to mankind and I could watch five minutes of Buster Keaton and I would, and I'd just stop being in a bad mood. It, it's, it's like a balm for the soul. I, it, it, I know that not everyone loves slapstick comedy, but I do. I love the physicality. It's like dance. It's like the greatest action cinema is like dance, you know, um, and that's what, that's what silent comedy and Buster Keaton feels like for me. And I, I just watch it and I just, it just turns everything else off for me. I think even now, isn't it that even Tom Cruise is always saying that the mission impossible films are like, he's trying to do that. Yeah. 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 And you said that was the thing where, you know, look at how much Tom is willing to risk for your entertainment. Are you not entertained? You know, it's... <laughs> so if you've never seen, you know, a, a Keaton, I haven't or... seen the general, okay. I haven't seen that. Film. You, sh- you should see it, Jack, because it's just, uh, I, it will just put a smile on your face. And if, if nothing else, you'll just be astonished by, because so much of it is single shot gags, you know, like a shot that goes, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, I bet I'll be surprised by how much in it I do recognise. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, you, the, the, the whole sections of it, you go, oh yeah, I see, that's where that comes from. Okay, your second... I know that there's the... Isn't there the very, very famous bit when he when the train arrives in front of camera and he's just sat at the front of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's, and there's, and then there's the thing with the cannon when they point the cannon one way and then he goes around the other way and then the cannon points back at him. I mean, and it's all... I mean, it's, it, it's, it's just genius. It's just absolute genius. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, your second choice. My second choice is Little Miss Sunshine. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, um, Okay. I think another one of those ones that you would probably say feel good film of the year, but it's obviously just full of tragedy. Mm. The film literally starts with one of the most dysfunctional families that I've ever seen on screen. You know, a, 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 a couple who are borderline close to divorce, uh, a grandfather who's addicted to heroin, um, her brother who's just recently tried to commit suicide, the son who's taking a vow of silence, who then... Spoilers for Little Miss Sunshine, everybody. I'm going to discuss some of the plot elements in this, but it did come out in 2006. So um, I think the time has run, so I can do that. Uh, but later on, we find out that he can't become a pilot because he's colorblind. Um, there's so much tragedy in it. But like I said at the start of this, I think there's a real cathartic feeling when something goes down that deep to be able to pull you out the other side. But also the film makes me laugh the entire way through as well. Yeah. I think it's borderline perfect as a film. I never find anything in it that I don't like. And I love the way that it's shot and directed, just even on a technical level, the way that it's framed a lot of the time, like even the opening shot, thinking about her looking at the um, the beauty pageant on the screen and her reaction to that. Um, the moment when... Um, the grandfather played by Alan Arkin passes away. There is a the moment when they're in the hospital uh, and there's some beautiful visual storytelling where the doctor comes to tell the family and then as he leaves, the gap that he leaves in the frame is the gap where the grandfather should have been. So there's literally a gap left in the family. And that is like such a sad, tragic moment. And then he turns around and opens. He says, I'm going to get someone to come and talk to you. Uh, about um, handling the remains and it's this very quiet sad moment and then he opens the curtain and goes Linda! (laughs) (laughs) So my only question to you would be this Um, I've only seen Little Miss Sunshine once the first time and I found it really uncomfortable I mean, not that it was bad I found it really unsettling I found when we got when we finally discovered the dance that she'd been taught. I mean, I know everything's Brilliant. kind of leading up to that. I, I mean, I have, I, I, I understand, you know, where that stands in the story and why, but I thought it was really creepy. And what was really, su- yeah. And what surprised me was how many people afterwards described it as a, because I always thought the title Little Miss Sunshine was utterly ironic. That that there's not that much sunshine in Little Miss Correct. Sunshine. It is, as you say, a completely dysfunctional family. All of them bordering on some kind of, you know, just barely suppressed psychosis, all leading up to this kind of theatre of embarrassment, uh, you know, climactic moment. 
and all take and all taking place within the guise of oh sunshine happy road yeah. trip competition dance you know i mean i thought it was utterly dyspeptic i'm just i mean i i'm just surprised that you, that for you, that for you it's something that that you think of as, as sort of reassuring at home because i think it's quite well uh, quite I vicious think, i know what you mean but i think that the message of it ultimately at the end is as cheesy as it kind of gets which is okay. that they have each other and that they love each other and that they'll always be there for each other and you know the fact that she th- th- all these people start judging her for the dance that she's doing and then all the family start well first of all greg kinnear who is despicable at the start of the film he's he basically runs um a pyramid scheme and he's trying yes. to sell it as a book um with yep. a great cameo from brian cranston but it's not going and he's basically spent a load of money and a load of time on something that's not going to get anywhere so his life is basically tragic as well because he's trying to pursue something that is ultimately like you know shit anyway but then it's not even working out (laughs) and so by the end of the film um when he gets on that stage to support his daughter and he's always been a little bit of a yeah, he's a bad father figure in some ways because he says like yeah, winning yeah. is all that matters and there's even a moment again a great moment in a uh, in a restaurant when they all we spend time with the family and get to know them all really really well and a way that they do that is letting them all order food and seeing how all of them order food very differently and it's funny in its own way as well and the type of thing they order and then greg kinnear tells um Abigail Breslin's character off for trying to order ice cream and tells her that like, oh, well, you know, models don't eat ice cream because it's got a lot of fat in it. And it's like, you piece of shit. But then by the end, when he gets (laughs) on stage with her, he's the first person to start dancing and then everybody else in the family starts joining them. And it's just this, this beautiful, cathartic, uplifting moment. And then just every, I mean, everything that goes wrong in the film, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. I mean, even the... The, the, the camper van that they're in like the horn won't stop beeping and as they're leaving it's this it is it's still like this strange mix between heartwarming and and, and tragedy when they're leaving at the end and they bash through the barrier and they're going off into the sunset but still you can hear the horn going Oof. it's 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 just got this like i think it's kind of because it's british it's got this sort of british sort of comedy to it as well that like sort of awkwardness to it yeah there's a few moments like uh when steve carell's character coincidentally again it's kind of strange in terms of what it gets away with bumps into his old lover in a in a gas station who's with his new lover and he's the reason why he tried to commit suicide he bumps into him as he's buying porn magazines yeah yeah. it's just this very strange like weird almost comedy sketch and then later on there's a similar one when he put when he's pulled over by the police and the police officer finds the porn magazines and the when there's a officer, dead body the, in the back in and, the back and the of police the, officer says this thing in that really creepy way he says god i love this stuff and yeah it's, yeah Ooh, yeah it's really weird Ooh. and even i've even forgot to mention that when um alan arkin's character dies they basically pull off a dead body heist yeah, it's just yeah, this very yeah. strange heist that happens i just think it's great and, and bonkers and off the wall in a really grounded way and makes me laugh every time and makes me feel every time and by the end i think it is one of those things where it's like they family man families are, are, are dysfunctional and weird and mad and you can't pick them but you're stuck with them and you're always going to look out for each other and there's something really beautiful in that and something very real about it 
It is interesting, as I said, I've only ever seen it once. I mean, uh, the people who made it went on to do um, Battle of the Sexes. Captain Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. But actually, Battle of the Sexes, which I think is is a really good film, like a really properly... Uh, I thought pro- Battle of the Sexes was okay. Oh, I, I really I was, liked it. I wanted you to fan? love Battle of the Sexes, but I didn't love it. Okay, you didn't love it because... I don't know, it, it just didn't grab me okay. the way that I wanted it to. Um, maybe I should watch it again. I've only seen it the once. But uh, I would really recommend watching Little Miss Sunshine again. Yeah, and I, I, I will do that. The other thing is, obviously, you know, we did some stuff about Ruby Sparks when we were doing Secrets of Cinema. Love and actually, that, that, that is a really interesting film. Paul Dano is um, great, man. I'm so yeah. glad that he's he's now going to be the Riddler, which is a very exciting thing to see him potentially be this... He could become this household name if he pulls yeah. off a, a villain that's as as memorable as past yeah. uh, actors have done. But yeah, I think he's incredible. And also, I mean, no point in not mentioning the fact how good he is in There Will Be Blood. He's just such a good And of course performer. in Love and Mercy, which is a film that just featured recently in the Secret of Cinema pop movies, because oh, he, he does the best he just does the best Brian Wilson. Okay, alright, so moving on to number three. So my number three is a film that I've talked about uh, an awful lot and it is one of those things where I can recite most of the movie and uh, and I, I don't care what anybody else thinks about it, is Splash. So I first saw Splash <laughs> the Tom Hanks movie directed by Ron Howard. I first saw Splash at the Cine City in uh, Withington in Manchester in the 1980s when it first came out. And I remember going, you know, there, there was a poster and it was Touchstone, you know, Disney Touchstone. So it was kind of like this slight departure for Disney. And um, the poster was, you know, Daryl Hannah as a mermaid, you know, lying on a beach. And, um, and I went along to see it because I went along to see everything as what I did. And I just loved it i just i laughed and i cried and it was the most wonderful thing and i went with a group of people who had no idea what i was talking about and i just said we've, we've got to come back tomorrow and see it again and they went why and i went because it's it's great it's just don't you think it's just like really great it's really funny and it's really and the performances are great and all the stuff with tom hanks and john candy together I mean, you know, it's it is some of the best comic timing stuff you've ever seen. The scene when Tom Hanks is allowed, you know, the people are coming to the wedding and he's broken up with his with his girlfriend. He's got this thing about you know he can't feel anything, and um, people are turning up and he's he's sort of saying, oh yeah, you know, anywhere but the front four rows, anywhere but the front four rows, and people keep asking him about his girlfriend. And the first person says, you know, um, you know, where's that where's that, where's that pretty lady? He says, oh yeah, she could she couldn't make it, she couldn't make it. She's uh, she's anyway, carry on, blah, blah blah. And then the next person comes along, and, you know, anywhere but the first four rows. And the next person comes along and says, and how's that lovely girlfriend? He goes, oh, you, you, she'd love to be here, but she's you know she's sick, she's she's very sick, she's very sick. And anyway, and the third person comes up, and as they come up, he goes, she left me, okay? That's the news. You want the weather? Anywhere but the first four rows. And it's just, it's just geniusly delivered. And then there's a thing when he goes, he's at the reception afterwards, and he's passed out drunk, and he's on the bar. And John Candy is doing this whole thing about, it's not that you've drunk too much, it's that you're too skinny. It's just a simple matter of, you know, physics for how much you've drunk and how big you are. And Tom Hanks is on the bar and he goes, Freddie, I'm on the bar, I'm on the bar. And Freddie goes, you're on the bar, let me help you off the bar. And John Candy steps back and Tom Hanks falls off the bar. And John Candy goes, you fell. (laughs) Anything that John Candy does makes me laugh. Anything that he does. I love that he just had one day on Home Alone and basically... Chris Columbus and John Hughes were just like, do what you want. Do, these are the lines, but do what you want. And that's why we have that whole like, polka, 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 polka. Like, and, and all of this stuff about like, oh, I, I think John Candy's just a genius. I almost, I was so close to putting Uncle Buck on this, on this oh, list. 
Yeah, that thing. But you ask a lot of questions. I'm a kid. It's my job. But the thing, yeah. you know, the, what's your what's your record for consecutive questions asked? It's thirty six. But <laughs> it is. It's you know, Tom Hanks uh, and John Candy, and I think Daryl Hannah is really really good, and um, and, and it's and it's so you know, I mean, it's a fairy tale. You know, it's it's it, it's the Little Mermaid. She's a mermaid. She meets him when he you know falls into the water, and then years later she comes back and and, and they fall in love. And it, and it's and you know when obviously when we were watching um. Uh, the Guillermo del Toro film, The Shape of Water, it, mm-hmm. it, it, The Shape of Water is Splash. I mean, that is what it is. It's Splash in a slightly different guise, but it is Splash. And there is so much about Splash that just, it, honestly, it fills my heart with joy. I and found I th- out recently that it it made the name Madison a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I she's, didn't know that Madison wasn't a name until she no, she, so was she's, called it in this film. She's walking down the street and he says, you know, what well, we got to go. We go. She, he asks her what her name is and she says it in mermaid language and all the windows break. So he says, we're going to have to get you another name. And um, and then she's up Madison Avenue and she climbs up the lamppost and she goes, pretty. And she, he goes, Madison. And she says, oh, okay, I want, I want to be called. He says, well, okay, why not? Why not? And of course, my niece is called Madison. And, um, you know, it was the thing that, yes, that absolutely, you know, made that, made that a name. And, uh, and I've, I've just watched that film over and over and over again. And then years later, it turned out that um, Quentin Tarantino and all his guys all, you know, love it. And they recite the dialogue because it is really, really, is really funny dialogue. Um but it was long before I just remember really clearly the other movie I had that experience with was the Richard Gere Breathless. Again, I saw it at Cine City in uh, in Withington and I went with friends and they all hated it. And I said, I just love this film. We've got to come back and see it again. And they went, why? And it was like, I, this, this, this was how I spent most of my time in Manchester, falling in love with films that everyone around me just said, why? I mean, people didn't hate Splash. They thought it was fine. But they went, what's, what, it, why, it's, it was, saw it once and it was fine. What's the whole thing? And uh, I just, it never, it never fails to make me, you know, with that thing when she's on the ice cream, this is what happens to water when it gets cold. You know, it's just, it's just so geniusly well observed. And, you know, and Freddie picks up the phone when Tom Hanks is on the phone and Freddie picks up the phone. And he says, well, she can't be leaving now. And Freddie goes, she could be good. Freddie, get off the phone. And Freddie goes, was that you? Was that, I didn't realize, was that you? I, didn't, I mean, it's just every single gag lands. Every single gag lands. And then at the end, he jumps into the water and goes off to a mermaid castle under the sea. Just being in love with her plunges him into a wondrous world of rapture and enchantment. Just one problem stands in his way. A little secret she's trying to keep all to herself. There is a mermaid in New York City. How come she's got legs? She has legs out of the water. She has fins in the water. What about a woman showing up naked in a public place, Freddie? Well, I'm bored, of course. Can I come in? No! All right, let me in. I'll, I'll be right there. I'm just changing. That girl is a mermaid. All my life, I've been waiting for someone. And when I find her, she's... She's a fish. Nobody's head loves perfect. She's really hungry. Daryl Hannah, Tom Hanks, and John Candy. Splash. 
a fantastic tale about a fantastic tale. Sticking with that vibe of people not understanding why you like a film so much, or the one that was kind of not universally loved, my next pick is Steven Spielberg's Hook. Ooh. Yeah. It's uh, my first love was Peter Pan. Before I loved James Bond, before I loved like wrestling. God. I've been through many phases in my life, but my first love was Peter Pan. Yeah. Um, and I used to dress up like him. I even went, when we went to... Um, you still do, don't you, Jack? Well, <laughs> how did you manage to fit into those smashing tights again, Peter? Um, when I went to Florida when I was seven years old in 1999, uh, we went to the Walt Disney Studios and we bought an official Captain Hook like costume and yeah, yeah. I would wear that all the time I actually I think at one point I even nicked a pair of my sister's green tights because I thought they looked better as Peter Pan than the the costume <laughs> ones you could get which were essentially just like trousers I was like these yes, doesn't wear trousers <laughs> Peter Pan doesn't wear trousers um I think that the film Hook is mad there are some moments in it that just obviously are like the the most obvious scene to mention in terms of like a negative thing is the scene where Tinkerbell just grows into real Julia Roberts when she becomes big for for a scene. Yeah. I honestly, if you could just pull that scene out, I'd be like, I like it better now because that scene just feels completely out of place to me, and it must be just because more Julia Roberts, you know. Um, but I think, and Steven Spielberg doesn't like Huck. He's even said like, no, I, Steven, you know, Spielberg, I Steven Spielberg has said to me. So this is, oh, really? a, this, is yeah, this is a, this is a first-hand story because I, I tell this all the time. I was talking to Spielberg about. Um, I said, "Do you ever go back and watch any of your own movies?" Because we just watched Jaws recently, and mm-hmm. and I said, "You know, do you go back and watch them?" He said, "Well, you know, sometimes if they're on the telly, I'll see bits." He said, "But he said, funnily enough, the one film of mine that I really actually do want to go back and rewatch is Hook." And I said, "Wow!" And he said, "Because I want to see if there's anything in it I like at all." Wow. So he, his feeling about it was that it was a total misfire. And, and, yeah, and, I, and, I read and, something after re-watching it recently. Uh, he did an interview where somebody somebody said, like, oh, I, my wife absolutely loves Hawk. And he was like, oh, well, I love your wife for that. And he said that he felt completely out of his depth doing the more Neverland stuff, like the fantastical, yeah, like yeah. The, 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 all that stuff. And he said if he were to do it now, he probably would have used digital effects to create that sort of... that that world and i'm so glad that he couldn't do that because one of the things i love about hook is the fact that neverland feels a little bit like a stage pantomime oh yeah you you look at it and it it looks a little bit like you're walking into a theme park or it looks a little bit like it could be happening on a stage like that pirate ship is not on a that is clearly on a soundstage and there's something about that that i really really like i like that it's kind of using the influence of the fact that peter pan has famously become now a big pantomime thing to do i like that it is a little bit childish and i'm a bit obvious that it's a set um i love you find don't you find the skateboarding cringy don't you find the kind of hey they're youthful here's a skateboard that was i think that was one of the first moments that i thought Skateboard. We talked about skateboarding before. Yeah, we, we have. Like that was the, one of the first moments I thought skateboarding as a shorthand for, hey, crazy kids, was just like, shut mm-hmm. up. Yeah, I, I think because... I, this is the thing I'd say about it as well, is that I don't really think I can talk about Hook 
even objectively in in not in any way because I think it's it's been with me since I was such a young child yeah. Yeah, that yeah, I yeah. don't see anything in it and go what's that about other than like what I said like Julia Roberts becoming big there's nothing yes. in it really that I'm like what's that about even Neverland like I say looking like a pantomime set there's something I'm just I'm immediately like yeah that's what Hook looks like like I can't look at it and go that looks cheap and rubbish there's yeah, something yeah, about yeah. it that immediately draws me in um, I also just love Robin Williams in it. Also, fun fact as well, a couple of years ago, um, I got to work uh, with Caroline Goodall, who's, um, she plays uh, Moira Banning in it. She plays Robin Williams' wife in it. Uh, I was in a a TV show on Sky called Bulletproof uh, and got to spend the day with her and asked her all about Robin Williams and asked her all about making that film. And she was telling me about the scene after the children have just been uh taken by hook there's like a police investigator uh, you know like the police are all in the living room and the shot is done through a window and then they all go out into the street and then the shot pulls back and the crane goes up and it's just this one take you know beautiful elegant spielberg storytelling but she was telling me about what it looked like on set to see all that happening and how it was one of the first um I think the budget was like nearing like a hundred million dollars, and it was one oh, of the it was first just it was staggeringly expensive. And staggeringly it was just like, expensive. Just keep shooting, shoot as much as you want, and so Spielberg was just basically let off the hook to do whatever he wanted. Yeah. Um, another it, aspect of it that I think is completely underrated is John Williams's score. Like you don't really hear about the hook score very much, but some of the the themes in it are like the bit when Hook has taken the kids and they come back and there's all the Hook slashes all over the wall that's leading up to their bedroom. Like that, the way that it builds is really, really scary. But then re- the the real one that gets me is when he flies for the first time, when he finds his happy thought and he bursts through out of the tree and he's miraculously just in full costume and it's this beautiful soaring you know, sound of flight and just joy and happiness. And it's just so... It just, it makes me well up and it makes me smile. And I think that's what I, when we were talking about heartfelt films, I was like, should I mention Hook? I'm a little bit embarrassed of the fact that I like it so much, but I can't deny that I was watching it end to end for two hours and 20 minutes or however, however long it is with a smile on my face yeah. the entire time. But the thing is, and all the jokes make me laugh. Everything is, about it, I love. That, that is all that matters. That's all that matters. And, uh, and it doesn't matter whether critics don't like something and it doesn't actually matter whether the maker of a film doesn't like it i mean i remember having a conversation with richard e grant and i said i think hudson hawk's really good and he said well you're an idiot and he's in it <laughs> you know <laughs> he's, and, uh, so there's that that thing about um it's it, it if it works for you and that i think that's the key thing and uh, filmmakers often say this and, and you, we take it as glib but it's true once you've made a film it goes out into the world it's its own thing and yep. it's then owned by the audience. It's not really owned by you anymore. And 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 if if that film touches those you know those heartstrings for you, then it does. And that's really all that matters. I mean, I don't expect that everybody in the world will feel the same way as I do about Silent Running. I don't expect that everybody in the same way will feel the same way as I do about Jeremy. In fact, I'm quite embarrassed by Jeremy because I love it so much. I don't want anyone else to see it because I know they'll laugh at it. And I, mm-hmm. you know, and I that kind of 
it doesn't matter if if it works for you. It's a brave choice, Jack. It's a it's a, an, an interesting choice because it's not. I wouldn't have expected it, but you know, mm. hey, great. it's it's just it's it's a film that's been with me for a long time, and it, it, I whenever I put it on, I'm I'm smiling and ear to ear. And I'll finish off my thoughts on it by just telling everybody a fun fact that you might have missed, although it's quite well known now. I think there's a scene where Hook, when he when you first meet him says who here doubted me who here didn't think i could do go into the other world and steal peter pan's children and there's one person and he goes over to him and it's like it's you and the pirate is glenn close wow full bearded up makeup wow and, the, and it's just and i when i watched it recently i pointed at the screen and went that's glenn close and my housemate was just like what <laughs> so uh, if trivia. you didn't know go to that scene and, uh, and have that. a look because it's brilliant you can totally tell when you know but I didn't know you that. wouldn't if you didn't the stories are true he's come back to seek his revenge only you can save your children you must make yourself remember remember what Peter don't you know who you are have to fly, have to fight, have to crow, have to save Maggie, have to save Jack. Okay, he's back. Okay, so on to number four. And, you know, you're talking about a film that's been with you for a long time and therefore mm. something that has personal resonance. So the, number four for me is a film that's been with me since I was a child. And uh, when I first started talking about how much I loved it, I think people thought that I was being, you know, sarky, ironic. I wasn't. I've, I've always loved this film. I genuinely think it's a masterpiece. So Dougal and the Blue Cat. The Dougal and the Blue Cat, which is the feature film version of The Magic Roundabout, for people of your age, you probably, wow. you probably don't remember Magic Roundabout. So... I remember the Magic Roundabout, but I don't know what this is. So it's a feature film. There's two versions of it. There's the the French version, Pollux et la Chatte Bleu, and then Dougal and the Blue Cat, which is the the same film, essentially, but completely revoiced by Eric Thompson, because the way that um, uh, uh, Manet Jean Chanté worked was that it was made... um, Essentially, Serge Dano uh, created it, um, and then... It was originally tried to be sold to the BBC. The BBC didn't like it. And then Eric Thompson, who, of course, is uh, Emma Thompson's dad, said, look, just let me revoice it. And they then listened to revoiced episodes by him. And they they went, OK, fine. So everything that we love about Magic Roundabout in the UK or in the English language is very specific to the English language version. The French version of uh, Dougal and the Blue Cat is very, very different um, or of any Magic Roundabout. So... I was taken to see this by my mum and she took me to the cinema to see it and saw it on a big screen and it was just brilliant. The story is there's the, there's the, the you know, the, the magic garden and then one day they wake up and there's this blue cat and everyone sort of loves the blue cat and Dougal doesn't trust the blue cat. Dougal thinks it's not right, you know. Blue, blue cat? It'll be blue snails next and then where will we be? And, um, and it turns out that... So he's racist. Thank you, Jack. Did you just step away from my childhood <laughs> memories, all right? Okay. No, he's not racist. He doesn't trust Buxton, and he's right not to, because by night, Buxton is actually going up into the old glue factory on the hill, where he is having conversations with Fenella Fielding as the blue voice. Blue is beautiful. Blue is best. I'm blue. I'm beautiful. I'm best. And what Fenella Fielding wants to do is to turn everything blue, everything in the whole world. And Dougal 
follows um, the blue cat and discovers that this is, you know, what he's trying to do. He tries to warn everyone in the magic, but they don't want to listen to him because, you know, they had a beautiful blue cat and they didn't want to think about anything else. And then the next thing is they're all in the dungeons and he's the only one that isn't. So he has to save them by dyeing himself blue and becoming Blue Peter, the blue dog with a Scottish accent, who ah. then becomes the prime minister to King Buxton the first. And then Madam Blue, the blue voice, sends them to the moon. This sounds like an acid trip. It's completely so. All the all the castle um, designs are all like cabinet of Dr. Caligari, like really strange, you know, German expressionist, really, really bizarre stuff. There's nightmarish sequences that are like the the creepiest, strangest fantasy things you've ever seen. When they go to the moon, it's like some kind of you know Georges Méliès, really weird silent cinema psychodrama, and. The film, the whole thing is voiced by Eric Thompson, who I loved, you know, obviously very, very sadly missed. And, uh, you know, I, I wish I'd had the chance to meet Eric Thompson. And Fenella Fielding, who I did meet and did know and, and you know, and absolutely I, I, I spoke at her memorial and I've never been you know more proud to do so. And when I was a kid, after I'd seen the film, my mum bought the soundtrack album, which you could get on MFP Music for Pleasure for 99p from Woolworths. And it had pretty much the whole film, the whole soundtrack of the film, all the dialogue. There was some edits, but not much. You put it on and it wasn't just songs. You played the whole film. And in the age before video, I listened to that over and over and over again. I learned that film off by heart from the soundtrack album. And then it was only years later when video was invented and you could buy it on thing. And then, you know, then later on they did a DVD and I'm on the commentary for I did a, you know, a little package thing for it. And I have, it is, That's it, cool. yeah, and I am, it is a part of my DNA, that film. And there are a couple of phrases in that film, which I use in my vocabulary. And one of them is that at the end, at the end of the film, after it's, I mean, I'm not, it's not a plot spoiler because it's not a plot driven film. They've, you know, Dougal as as uh, Blue Peter has gone to the moon with Buxton, and then they've had a fight because his blue blue paint has washed off, and they fall back down to earth, and he's manages to save the, 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 his friends, and then the castle, the blue voice goes mad, and she's failed, failed, all my dreams of a blue universe have failed, and she's lightning bolts, and, and everything's destroyed, and bang, explosions, get out, get out, everyone running away, it's like catastrophe, and then it finishes, and then you hear this thing go, and that was that. And then Brian goes, yes, not Brian, then Dougal goes, yes, well, fun while it lasted. And that phrase, and that was that, has become my default expression for, and like, so when Trump finally fucked off, I just, and that was that. And that has become the most reassuring phrase in my life. And that was that, followed by, yes, well, fun while it lasted, I suppose. And I honestly, I think... You know, for ages and ages I said that what I wanted written on my gravestone was that there is no such thing as a cheap laugh. I think actually what I want written on my gravestone is, and that was that. Florence was at home and singing a song which went something like this. Florence, it's a lovely morning. Florence, shall you work this morning? Florence, if you don't this morning. You will never do it, dear. Florence, you would rather wander. Florence, it's a living wonder that your house is not now under. 
a great big cloud of dust, dust, dust. Clean it up, you must, must, must. Mirror, Sticking with the uh, the theme, the I'm making some adjustments as I go. You're you're just reminding as you're speaking, you're reminding me of films that I love in a similar way. Okay. We can't go. An, an entire podcast talking about heartwarming films without mentioning Paddington. <laughs> I love Paddington. I love Paddington. I love Paddington 2. Paddington 1 and Paddington 2. Let's yeah. roll them into one into one discussion here. Um, I remember when the first one came out and it was kind of around the time when a lot of like live action adaptations were being done of old childhood classics. I think there's even... Um, a Tom and Jerry one coming out soon now and you know they'd done the Smurfs and a bunch of okay. other things like that and so I was like whatever and me and a few friends went to go see it just at a local cinema just one evening <clears throat> and I knew that I was going to love it from one of the opening lines I was like this is hilarious just straight away it was like proper comedy and that line is I'm just going to read it word for word so I don't get it right it's about a traveller who's going to Peru yeah. and he says I travelled light carrying only the absolute essentials, maps, rations, modest timepiece, and travel piano. And it's just this line of people. And then you see him with a grandfather clock and a piano. And I was like, this is hilarious. This is so funny. Like, immediately a proper comedy. And obviously it's directed... I can't remember his name right now. I'll find it. But Paul King, thank you, who directed The Mighty Boosh. Um, And so it's got that very, like, similar surrealist kind of comedy to it. And some brilliant performances um we, we we talked a lot about paddington 2 in the um paddington paddington 2 in the secret of cinema on british comedy and one of the things that we said about uh, the films was that they offer an a, an idealized view of how we would like britain to be i mean that incredible kind of i think it's the opening of paddington 2 that, that kind of multicultural thing when paddington's on the bus and he's going there's sanjeev baskar and there's every and it is it is a vision of unified, multicultural, diverse Britain in the way that you that you want it to be. Paddington 2 came out in 2016, 17? I can't remember. But it was around the time that Brexit was just starting. And it felt like a response to that. But yes, there is a character in, 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 in the Paddington movies who is Mr. Brexit. And the whole yes. film felt like it was the anti that. It was, like Peter Capaldi. Yeah, it was, the, it was absolutely the opposite of that. I don't that. trust that bear. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was, you know, that was what was so great about it, was it really felt like a celebration. I mean, I, f- I think about it in the same way as I think about the uh, the, 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 the the David Copperfield movie that, that, that Amanda Yanucci made. That they are. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, so do I. And they are celebrations of multicultural Britain without ever making a big song and dance about it. They just are. They just. And sometimes they do make a song and dance about it. Yeah, no. Sometimes they do, but they are films that just imagine the world as. A, no, no. As no a, I mean, literally, they literally make a song, make a song, song and dance about it. Yeah, <laughs> but they, but they imagine the world as being a better place for not being some horrible gammony, you know, monolithic Brexit era thing and I just I think that's great and in fact it was interesting that when we did the Secrets of Cinema program we got a couple of uh, you know snidey things in the press complaining about the fact that we were saying you know isn't multiculturalism great and everything and it was interesting that those things were coming from Gary Bushell and from Christopher Stevens in the Daily Mail and uh, and it was like yeah fuck off exactly fuck and indeed (laughs) off you know so you know I agree no I I love the Paddington movies I think they're just they're just great they're absolutely great they are just they never get old they're always funny 
and it's got maybe the best Hugh Grant performance of all time yeah. in Paddington 2. And I think even I mean, he I, thinks I, that. I think even he yeah. thinks that it's his best performance. It's so good. And he gets to really show off his his chops as well. Like he gets to do these multiple different roles within the role. And it's it's so, and it's camp and it's hilarious. And there's real moments of classic British comedy in it. Like the, someone, something is happening behind you and you've got to keep the other person distracted. Yep. I love that shit. I love it so much. But it's also got some of the things that we mentioned earlier, some slapstick in yeah, there. Yeah, it's, no, it's absolutely, it's, it's tying into that, that, that slapstick tradition. And it's absolutely part of that. And again, I mean, it is interesting when we were doing the secret cinema program, you know, we started with Chaplin and, and Paddington. I mean, they were like, you know, they are absolutely part of the same tradition. You know, the the little the figure of the little man and the and and the physical humor, which of course I I, I do think physical humor is the kind of the highest form of uh, of humor. Okay, all right. And I think it's got some really like proper. Jo- I mean, the joke that comes to mind from the Hugh the Hugh Bonneville character, who is this uptight like dad who loves rules and doesn't want anything to, anyone to get hurt or anything to break. And he wasn't always this way. And there's a flashback of him like being on a motorbike and being a cool guy. And then when the first child is born, she goes in and then as she comes out, he's completely different. And she's like, where's the bike, dear? And he goes, I sold it for this. And she goes, it's very beige. He goes, it's a calm and cooling collar. Please get in. (laughs) It's so good. Those films are incredible. And I can't even imagine them without Ben Whishaw. Like the fact that it was supposed to be Colin Firth. is just, And I, I like that he left knowing this isn't right for me. You shouldn't have me. Mr. Boober. Oh, what's this? Oh. This is London. It's wonderful. Aunt Lucy always dreamed of coming to London. If she saw this, it would be like she were finally here. Aunt Lucy! Oh, Paddington. On to our last choice, our number five. And uh, again, I'm going to go first. So my number five, and I, I th- you might have seen this, I think, is uh, Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. Um, now, the thing with Young Frankenstein is I, I'm a huge horror film fan. And one of the reasons I love Young Frankenstein is because it's a, it's a pastiche of horror movies that's made by somebody who understands why horror movies are loved. It's not going, aren't horror movies stupid? It's going, aren't horror movies brilliant? And this is why we love them. It has the most incredible set of central performances. I mean, like literally not a not a, a, a not a joke miss, not a misstep. Everything is perfect. It does have, I have to say... In, in one particular plot thread, a really, really dodgy bit of sexual politics that is absolutely of its era and now makes me kind of, you know, cringe and wince. But none of that overcomes the fact that I can put Young Frankenstein on and... Gar- can you pronounce it correctly, please? What, yeah, exactly. So, all that... <laughs> Igor, Froderick, it's Frankenstein. All that stuff <laughs> is, is just absolute comedy gold and the the central sequence which again we we use this on the movie doctor's tour the the putting on the ritz scene i think is one of the funniest things i have ever seen and it, it just it doesn't matter again what kind of mood i'm in the scene in which they do putting on the ritz in which the the whole plot device is he's created a monster he's created a, a creature you know they think about frankenstein the monster and now what he's trying to do is to demonstrate to the, you know, to, to the sceptical villagers that actually it's, you know, it's not a monster. This is, you know, so he says, you know, walk forward. He walks forward. He said, no, walk backwards, walk backwards. He said, come, 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 come on. He said, but now 
the sophisticated man about town and the lights go on and he and his creation perform putting on the Ritz. And the genius of it is that because he gets one of the steps wrong, they start throwing fruit at him. And he turns on the monster and says, you're embarrassing me. You know, three, four, five. And it's, oh God, everything about that scene is so, it's so, it's dance. And it's, so it's physical comedy. And the, which is just, I don't know why that's as funny as it is. That's, I mean, that's like, I don't know if you've ever seen seen this thing on, um, you would have done because you're a young person. There's a thing that I was on YouTube that I was only shown fairly recently, which is Rick Astley. And there's various versions of this called Never Gonna Hit That Note, okay? And it's basically somebody auto-tuning Rick Astley so that when he sings, his voice goes up and down in a comic way, okay? It is a stupid, stupid, cheap gag. And every every time I hear it, I almost wet myself laughing. And the, the it's because it puts me in the mind of put lottery, <laughs> and I, on it, everything in that it, the thing when they're when they're eating the they're eating the pudding, and downstairs the monster goes and he says, "Yeah, it is lovely, isn't it?" Says, Pardon, you made a yummy sound. I said what? No, he said, <laughs> when, when he's being held in a you know in a headlock. And he's trying. He's trying to say sedative, sedative. He's trying to say sedative to get the monster, you know, to get, give the monster a sedative. And he's going two, three, three syllables, three syllables. Said, said, and he goes, said a give, said a give. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? <laughs> Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Dressed up like a million dollar trooper. Trying mighty hard to look like Gary Cooper. Come, let's mix where Rockefellers walk with sticks or umbrellas in their midst. I need to watch uh, Young Frankenstein again. I haven't seen it for a oh, long, Jack, long time. Oh, Jack, it's such... Honestly, it's such a joy. It's such a joy. Roll, roll, roll in the hay. And, and, and Cloris Leachman going, He vast my boyfriend! Which is just, just genius. I remember, this is not to do with Young Frankenstein, but more to do with Mel Brooks. Recently, well... I remember a few years ago, I think it was, he was on The One Show. Yeah. And he'd never been on there before. And obviously The One Show covers a multitude of topics. And so they jump from, like, heartfelt to sad to ridiculous to whatever. (laughs) And Mel Brooks is sat there watching this happening and he goes, what is this crazy show? (laughs) (laughs) Um my final pick is not in that same realm okay. of, of, of slapstick, ridiculous, you know, comedy. It's my favourite Tim Burton film, Big Fish. Oh, yeah, the lovely and, film, lovely film. Yeah, great. I think it's far and away his best film. Okay. And John August's script, I thought, I think it's so, so good. Um, yeah, I rewatched it recently and it just makes me fucking weep. It really just makes me, it's such a cathartic cry and... a film about the profound importance of stories and metaphor and why it's so important 
to to us and and to the people that we love and the relationships that we have and i especially love um jessica lang's performance it's kind of a bit of a you could probably argue it's a bit of a thankless role like she's in it to basically be the loving devoted wife um to albert finney's uh, edward bloom but it's such a emotional and delicate performance like i really believe that she adores him yeah. and completely loves him and the scene when she gets in the bath with him and and they just share one last cuddle together and there's even just like this physical tick that they do where he puts his thumb on her chin and there's something about that that really sticks with me as well like this very like unique um bit of language that they have with each other that that essentially just means i love you but really the the all the bizarre like surreal stuff where like, you don't know what's real and what's not and the stories that have been exaggerated for effect and whatever but really it's about two people not understanding each other like speaking very much different languages and being different people and the father and the son being very very different people and him being frustrated and being like he, my father lies to me and then learning by the end that's just how he communicates and letting him letting the son finish the story of his life yeah, for yeah. him. And that entire sequence, when he tells him the story and we see it play out as one of the stories we've been seeing, I cry for that last 10 or so minutes, whatever it is. Yeah. It's just, and it's just streams of tears and it's just over, it makes me burst. It's just wonderful. I love that film so much. I know you, you probably know this better than I do, but you know, I, I know it, it, Burton didn't write it, but it does feel very personal. It does feel mm. like it's a kind of personal statement film. They're not autobiographical, but like it is a personal statement film. Like it comes from somewhere because it wasn't a huge hit. I think it was it was well reviewed, but it was a very difficult sell because it's one of those films like um, what, you know, what is it's it? It's called Big Fish. Yeah, it's called Big Fish, <laughs> and it's is it a comedy or is it a drama or is it melancholic or is it surreal or is it you know? And it's you know it has it's got the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, it, it, it is all of the above. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a great choice actually. I must go back and watch that again because I haven't seen that for a number of years. I remember being really surprised when it came. I remember, I'm a Burton fan anyway. I love Edward. I think that's just a, a brilliant movie. And, uh, you know, I'm a, still a big fan of Beetlejuice. And, you know, I think the thing in Beetlejuice about, you know, I've seen The Exorcist 37 times and it just gets funnier. It's just, <laughs> you know, I, but I, I, do, I do love his films, but Big Fish, is a, that's a very good call. What do you want, Will? Who do you want me to be? Just yourself. Just show me who you are for once. Discover an adventure as big as life itself. In telling the story of my father's life... Bravo Company, go! ...doesn't always make sense. That's what kind of story this is. Big Fish. Okay, all right. So look, Jack, I think that's actually a pretty good list. So what I'd say is, um, anyone listening, let us know what you think for you works you know get in touch with us you can get there's a twitter you can either you know at kermode on film or at kermode movie or you can uh, at uh, jack you are are you just you just at jack howard i'm at jack you howard, got jack yeah. howard. I got there early. yeah you did well you see your early adopter jack that's the thing so so at kermode on film at jack howard or, or, or at um kermode movie 
Let us know what films always do that for you. And I think, actually, Jack, what would be quite nice is to do a return mm-hmm. blog in which we go through some... If we get enough suggestions, in which we go through and have a look at what some other people have suggested. And just, you know, I think to, that's a great idea. OK, well, let's do that in that case. So get in touch, at Kermode on Film, at Jack Howard, at Kermode Movie, any of those will do. And let us know what movies always work for you. A kind of, you know, what will always cheer you up. What do you think of as absolutely heartfelt? Like, However you define a heartwarming, a heartfelt yeah, film. Yeah, and uh, and let us know. Uh, thanks ever so much for listening. Um, as you can hear, I think we're all we're all feeling that we're in a different world from the last time that we spoke. And despite everything that's going on, it does feel like there is potentially light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, thanks everyone for listening as always stay safe um you know uh do whatever you can to stay safe protect yourself protect your family protect your friends protect the nhs we are all in this together and uh, i think it is now more important than ever that we all pull together and do what needs to be done to get us through this very very difficult period but thanks ever so much for listening as i said do visit our patreon page that's got a bunch of other stuff on it um uh, if you've enjoyed it subscribe tell your friends uh jack's got a whole bunch of jack what have you got going on what what's what stuff of yours should people be checking out oh if you want to see a new um i'm a part of a comedy duo called jack and dean i haven't mentioned that for a while and we just uh put our first video up for a long long time we do a series that we've been doing on youtube since we started on youtube in 2008 called the good the bad and the just plain shit parts of (laughs) insert year here and we just did the 2020 edition and that just went up uh about a week or so ago so uh, go and check that out it's a 16 minute bit of uh, comedy about the past year um and we try and keep it more jokes than anything else i hope you enjoy that um and that's on that's that's on youtube that's on youtube jack yeah that's on youtube.com forward slash jack and dean very good very good okay well look jack's been great a real pleasure so let's get so let's book this in you know as long as we get you know enough suggestions so basically listeners this is down to you if we only get three we're not doing it um and uh you know (laughs) let us know what your choices are take care of yourself take care of each other thanks for listening remember to subscribe bloody bloody blah keep watching the skies thank you very much Thanks. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.